0: Hello, James. Hey, Gary. What's up? Hey, nothing. How's it going? Happy 2008, dude. Yeah, yeah. Back at you. Uh, how's things been? No, not bad. Not bad. I'm, I'm, uh, chilling. Things are good. Work is good. Uh, family's good. What about you? How was the holiday?
1: Oh, the holiday was okay. You know, a little too much food, not enough time, but you know how it goes.
0: Tell me about it. Tell me about it. What'd you get for? Uh, what'd you get for Christmas?
1: Oh, you know, a little this, a little that. Some DVDs, clothes. Uh, peace and quiet
0: was, uh, was a great thing to have. So nice, nice. Well, how'd you get peace and quiet? Like, I, I thought you had a bunch of people.
1: Uh, well, we had a bunch of people, but uh, I have a door. And I, <laughs> I shut it,
0: so... Good call, good call.
1: Okay, how's school? Uh, school's going good? I, I got a really good GPA last semester. Uh, I've got my schedule and stuff uh, together. Uh, going to get books and stuff this weekend and move back and start the new semester. Nice,
0: congrats sure. on the grades. I, I mean, it's, oh, that's thanks. really awesome.
1: But it seems like... A, last six months, you know, something has just been slipping, slipping my mind. You too, huh? All, All right, person. Kiss Army. All right. Are you hearing something?
0: Wait, did you hear something?
1: I think I heard something.
0: You wanted the best? Wanted the what best. is that? I don't
1: know. It's, it's vaguely familiar.
0: You got the best.
1: Now close your eyes. You're about to be
2: podcasting.
0: Oh, yeah. That's what it is. Oh, that was corny. Welcome to your podcast. This is Gary. And this is James. Happy 2008, everybody. Thanks for waiting so long. You've been very patient and we've been very tardy.
1: But we haven't forgotten.
0: It's been 30 years since what might arguably have been kind of Kiss's biggest year of their heyday. You know, 1978 was huge, right?
1: If you read Kiss Alive Forever, it uh, talks about how the alive 2 tour which to, took us through 1978 into the beginning of the solo albums um how kiss was this giant legend almost as big as the beatles and you know everything they they did went platinum or whatever and how that wasn't exactly true but if it were to be true, it would have been in 1978.
0: We had uh, Double Platinum, we had the solo albums, and we had Kiss Meets the Phantom, otherwise known as Attack of the Phantoms. James, your thoughts on that movie?
1: I hadn't seen it. It was, it was a legend for me. You know, my friends and I, we would watch, I would force them to watch things like Extreme Close-Up or Beyond the Makeup. We would see clips of uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom, and we would always say, how bored would we have to be to watch something that corny? And then um, I got into bootleg collecting, and traded for a copy and uh we uh, we unveiled this thing at my buddy dave's house from the opening credits of uh, kiss flying through the air playing rock and roll all night, all the way down to um the end credits when they they spend adner devereux around and for some insane reason his hair is white our mouths were just open and we were stunned because it wasn't nearly as corny as we thought it was going to be it was more corny yeah
0: i and and i think uh I don't remember who it was commented. Maybe it was Paul. So, someone in, in some commentary, I think, remarked that they still don't understand what happens to Devereux at the end of the movie, why his hair is white and he's frozen. It, it makes no sense. I love I love that movie. <laughs> I love it. It gets better every time I see oh, it. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I notice little things every time I watch it. I have such an incredible fondness for that movie. It's one of the few movies I know every word to. I just wore the the heck out of that video cassette I think one of my favorite moments in that... I have a lot of favorite moments in that movie. But when Kiss first appear, there are these insane special effects going on when they appear kind of above the stage at the concert. Ace is shooting lightning bolts out of his fingers, but he's hanging on a wire, and his he's bobbing up and down so that the lightning bolts are staying in one place, but his fingers are moving up and down. And every now and then, like his fingertips connect with the lightning bolts, but most of the time it looks like it's just floating.
1: What do you think of the... Attack of the Phantoms version that was released in the Kissology Volume 2 versus the original NBC version.
0: I think it depends on which one you're more familiar with and what you grew up with. I think I will always prefer the NBC version. There's something really magical about it. Especially, I mean, not not least of all, and this is, I guess, one of like Kiss's greatest criticisms of it, the corny, cartoony fight music. I like 70s funk. I like that stuff. Just like a really active bass guitar, lots of hi-hat, uh, and a wah pedal, it, like it's gold. Like like I'm I'm in heaven.
1: I'm always afraid that uh, if I put that movie in, and, you know, I'm visiting my my grandfather or something, and he hears me watching that movie, he's going to think that uh, I'm watching bad '70s porn.
0: Well, right. I mean, he sounds he sounds exactly like that. I like Attack of the Phantoms, though. Uh, don't get me wrong.
1: I think there is uh, one part in particular in Attack of the Phantoms where the music change is absolutely wonderful. Which one? And that's uh, when, after uh, Devereaux is fired, and he's walking underneath of the, the roller coaster, and they're playing Mr. Make-Believe. Oh, it's great. That, that was awesome.
0: I love yeah, that I mean, song I... anyway, so. Oh, me too. Well, you know, <laughs> don't get me started on that record. But, yeah, no, it's, uh, well, actually, we'll talk about that record later. Yeah, I think that it's, Attack of the Phantoms is great because it has all the music from the solo albums, and, and um, I mean, it's more of a Kiss movie. It's more of a movie. It makes more sense. Um, it's still not a good movie. I, th- I suppose technically it's a better movie, but um, I my heart, I think, belongs to the uh, Phantom of the Park version. Um, and speaking of which, you know, we had our Bruce Kulick interview. I mean, you know, we'll we'll try to keep doing that. And our special amazing thing that we have tonight for you that, that I think will hopefully blow your mind. Um, uh, Firk, do you want to tell them? I mean...
1: We scored an interview with somebody you don't usually... Get to hear from and I, I know as soon as we've said this you know everybody's minds racing who could it be who could it be could it be bill a coin uh could it be drago from the infamous where's drago on the back of uh the original kiss album
0: it's even more impressive than that i think because you know we had to go through some very unusual channels for this interview um but we have an ex we can't say where he is for you know kind of uh public security reasons but suffice it to say that we are the first to bring you an exclusive discussion uh, with the one and only Abner Devereaux. So uh, here's here's what went down when we called him up.
1: Mr. Devereaux. I'm Mr. Devereaux.
0: Oh, wow! Ah, oh, thank you for granting us this this interview. I, I, this is so rare. This is incredible. Uh, And we know you're a busy man.
2: You will regret this day.
0: Well, that remains to be seen, I I guess.
1: You know, a lot's been going on in the world of KISS. Do you mind if we ask you about some of it? We've got a lot of work to do. Uh,
0: I see. Um, So so any comments on Paul's recent uh, health scare, you know, his his heart condition?
1: Check his circuitry. That
0: doesn't work.
1: So, uh, Attack of the Phantoms was finally released on DVD. Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley from KISS have been very upset by the people who have bootlegged it all these years. Uh, what's the point? Why try to argue science with a bookkeeper?
0: Uh, any thoughts on, uh, I, I guess, one of the most controversial things that's, that's happened in KISS in the latest years? Um, you know, having new members who dress up uh, like old members, you know, and wear their makeup.
2: Well, that's quite understandable. Androids will soon take over most of men's menial work. It's almost impossible to distinguish from the real thing.
1: Have you heard Peter's latest solo album, One for All? Beginning to concern me a little? Mr. Devereaux, is there anything you want to say to all the Kiss fans out there? I will destroy
0: you! All of you! Okay, well, thanks for the interview, and uh, goodbye. (laughs) Well, James, that was uh, certainly a milestone moment, I think, that will go down in Kistry, Um, and I'm glad that we brought it to the fans first, you know, I we beat out all the other podcasts all all one of them i guess so i'm guessing this would be a good time to you know we we mentioned that there was this concert that they did without paul um he had this health scare i have a lot of really strong feelings about this concert i've i've read a lot of really strong feelings about this concert i've heard the show
1: that night when i just happened to switch over to kiss faq and and see you know, Paul hospitalized, KISS playing without him, <laughs> my mind just absolutely was racing. Because originally they said it was a voice problem. What exactly is wrong? How are they going to sound? What are they going to play? You know, I mean, there's only so much you can do without a, a Paul Stanley and KISS. I mean, let's face it, when it comes to the number of songs, Paul definitely has the majority.
0: You know, I took my parents to a KISS concert, and, uh, you know, I remember my dad saying, you know, wow, he's 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 certainly doing a lot of work up there, you know, and, and he does. He's really the, the front man in a lot of ways.
1: Absolutely. And uh, as much as we all sometimes get down on KISS, two members in particular, or three, uh, Gene Simmons has always, you know, had my utmost, utmost respect as a member of KISS. But I really think the unsung heroes of KISS that night in particular were Tommy Thayer and Eric
0: Singer. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I feel the same way. I, I like You know, and this is not just scripted banter. You and I haven't really talked much about this show.
1: When I think about what, what we've heard went on backstage, you know, first off, you have to you have to applaud Tommy Thayer for refusing to sing Shock Me.
0: We're not 100% sure it's true, but apparently Gene did ask Tommy to do that. Kudos to Tommy for saying no.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, even Gene, because, you know, we always hear about Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley both kind of not wanting to take risks on stage. And, um, you know, he had to. And... They pulled out things like Going Blind, which they haven't played since 2004. Right. They pulled out Cold Gin, which they hadn't played regularly since, I think, 2006 or 2005.
0: Yeah, Parasite, Watching You, which they played a couple times in 06. And a, a real gem was that they did Nothing to Lose with Eric singing. And,
1: and a drum solo. He, I guess, improvised on the spot a drum solo.
0: Yeah, it was, it was the most jamming uh, show they've done in a really long time. I listened to this again recently and I kind of in in preparation for the show. And you had three people on that stage who have taken a lot of criticism in terms of, you know, stifling Kiss's creativity. You know, people blame Gene for not being creative enough. You know, he focuses on this and that rather than the music. Um, You know, Tommy and Eric, vis-a-vis their roles in Kiss are often criticized in terms of, you know, not being creative. They haven't had a way to be creative. Um, and, and what they're doing right now, a lot of people think is the opposite of creativity, you know, as far as emulating past members. That show they did as a trio, I think was one of the most musical Kiss concerts I've heard in a really long time.
1: I would agree with that 100%. Uh, the, the only part of the entire show that really kind of got to me, and it, it was just kind of haunting in a way, was hearing Eric Singer sing the opening lines to Black Diamond.
0: Yeah, I agree. That is a really haunting moment.
1: That's when you really... Because if you close your eyes, Tommy Thayer did such a great job on covering the rhythm parts along with the lead parts. Um... And Eric Singer really, really stepped up his game in terms of backup vocals. So it, there's certain parts in that concert. If you close your eyes, you might not know Paul Stanley's gone if you were just listening to one song.
0: Right, and that's no offense to Paul. I mean, he,
1: no, absolutely he, not. That's just more of a, a props to the other yeah, guys. Yeah, no,
0: I, I love that show. I think um, you know they they played a little more with the arrangement for the the she guitar solo at the end of the song. You know, Aces featured part that Tommy plays they changed it a little bit
1: I had forgotten they did that song oh they
0: they played the heck out of it it was really good um you know but but again I think a key moment was nothing to lose you know
1: there's no denying that Eric Singer is just an amazing vocalist
0: yeah give it a listen here it is Another recent uh, event in the Kiss world—well, recent since the last podcast, I should say—is the release of Peter's long-awaited solo album, *One for All*. What do you think of the album cover?
1: Peter Chris is my favorite member of Kiss, and I don't say something like this often, but that album cover was horrible. It was—it just was not good.
0: To be completely honest, I haven't really gotten a chance to sit down. I had—I—I I got it as a gift for the holidays, and. Um, I am excited to listen to it, but, I, but what I want to do is I want to listen to it. I don't just want to kind of hear it passively. I want to listen to it, you know, read the lyrics, um, the liner notes, all that stuff, and really give it a fair shot.
1: And I need to listen to it again to really be able to give it a fair shake. I will say this, that uh, from what I remember, the intention of the album and the, the heart of the album is, is amazing. It's Peter Chris. you know, the heart, the heart and intent of the album is is off the chart i mean it's it's emotional and it's got feeling you know his sure his voice is not always in key i think
0: what you're talking about maybe is i mean if I, I don't want to put words in your mouth but you're talking about sincerity absolutely i'm gonna dig myself into a hole with this one but like i think i think the same thing for most of the uh gene's a-hole album i think that firestarter is awful um and i think that there's moments on that album that do make me cringe but i think that and Paul's album too. I think that they I mean this has been said before. They did exactly what they wanted to do. So it was a sincere effort. I give I give Peter huge credit for producing it himself. For better or worse, you know, he did what he wanted to do and props to Peter. Now we're going to take ourselves a little trip down to Abner's laboratory. Oh, Abner Devereux. Sure.
1: Well, this Abner Devereux, where can I find him?
2: His workshop's located underneath the Sky Tower.
0: You mean underground?
2: Yeah, way underground. underground.
0: I'll just activate the elevator mechanism. You step inside.
1: What we have for you on this edition of Adam's Laboratory is a demo by a band called Lips from 1972. Lips featured Peter Chris, Stan Penridge, and Michael Benvanga. And this is the original recording of That's the Kind of Sugar Papa Likes. This is Man of a Thousand Faces.
2: That's a and it's it's
0: so what I thought we would do right now is just sort of go back and forth, and you know, talk a little bit about our thoughts on the four solo albums. First of all, I think just the idea of them is incredible. It's it's such a remarkable thing for a band to do, and it speaks volumes of the kind of unique position Kiss were in as far as having you know four members, each of whom had their own fan base.
1: A lot of my friends, they kind of. They don't understand my, my obsession with Kiss. But uh, I was talking to my uh, my roommate, Dave, about Kiss one day, and he told me the one thing that he's always loved about Kiss, whether he likes it or not, or he likes the songs or not, is that all four members sing.
0: And, and they all write.
1: Absolutely. I mean, some more than others. But uh, there's no mistaking when you hear Strutter and then you hear Rocket Ride that they're two very, very different songs by
0: two very, very different people. And, and I think that that's why I love the solo albums. A record I treasure is a vinyl copy of the best of the solo albums. So let me ask you something. What If you had to pick a favorite of the four, I mean, I, you know what I'm going to say, but what, what's your favorite and why?
1: If you would have asked me one year ago, I would have said, absolutely, bar none, my favorite solo album is Peter Crisp. Now, the only thing I can answer is what my least favorite solo album is. My least favorite is Ace Frehley's. And I know however many thousand people that will download this show are thinking right now, all right, Gary needs a new co-host. No,
0: the strength of the Kiss Army and of this band is the diversity of tastes.
1: Absolutely. The, the thing that always turns me off to Ace's, first off, Ace Frehley's not my favorite vocalist in the band, so that's, that's, that's number one. I do think Fractured Mirror is an absolute masterpiece.
0: Hm. that's interesting. I'm, I'm, you know, my second favorite band just by, like, by a hair. Is Pink Floyd, and I've always thought that you know in some way. I don't, I don't know that Ace is a Pink Floyd fan or anything, but I've always felt I've always felt like "Fractured Mirror" is kind of like a an Ace Fairly Pink Floyd song. That, having said that, I really am not that crazy about it. It's it's my least favorite track on that album.
1: Really, and it's it's by far my favorite. But uh, Ace's album really it strikes a strange chord with me because it feels like an album full of songs that Ace Frehley could put on Kiss albums. When you listen to Mr. Make-Believe, that doesn't sound like Gene, anything Gene had ever done on a Kiss album. When you listen to I Can't Stop the Rain, that would not feel at home on Love Gun. Or when you listen to something like um, Hold Me, Touch Me, Think of Me When We're Apart, that's not a good Kiss song.
0: All right, and that that sort of brings up, like, here's, here's a silly little debate we could have Are they solo albums by members of KISS or are they KISS albums? Is it a KISS album called Gene Simmons or is it a Gene Simmons album called KISS? You know what I mean?
1: Well, uh, here's the way I look at it. If If you can say in an argument that you could see When You Wish Upon a Star on a KISS album, then okay, it's a KISS album named Gene Simmons. For my money, they're solo albums. What about Beth? Beth was a KISS song. Beth wasn't a song sang by Jiminy Cricket. That is the absolute one song, you know, as hated as it may be by the Kiss Army, or at least a part of the Kiss Army, I think it's the one song that defines the fact that these are four solo albums. Because up to that point, and even after so, if you look at the Tom Snyder interview when they asked where Gene's from, we never got a glimpse at the fact that Gene was, you know, the son of a Holocaust survivor from Israel. We never got to see that. But when you listen to When You Wish Upon a Star and you hear the vulnerable sound of Gene Simmons' voice, and we now know why he recorded that song, the fact that that song helped him learn English when he came to this country, you know, to me, that symbolizes the fact that that record was Gene Simmons and nothing to do with Kiss.
0: Well, you you know how I feel about that album. That that album is responsible for my love of pop music. I, I wouldn't have gotten into Kiss had it not been for that record. I just don't think it would have happened. Um, I saw that album in stores and and I was five years old, and something about it just connected with me. i don't I can't explain it. I don't know why. I mean as as kooky as it sounds, like I've studied psychology for you know, I don't know like I guess like the better part of two decades. I still don't understand why that record hit me the way it did. But I knew I had to hear it. and I'm glad it I'm glad it did what it did for me because it, it remains one of my all time favorite albums and I think the reason it clicked for me was because music up until that time, I mean, granted it was only five years, but music up until that time, the, the only real music I listened to was either stuff from Star Wars, like the the soundtrack or like the you know, the story with the dialogue, that on record, or you know, like other movie tie in things or like those those forty fives that had the, the picture book that came with it and you can listen and read along at the same time. I mean, I was a kid, that's that's what I listened to. So my my idea of music was that it was either the story of something or the soundtrack to something that was visual. And so KISS made sense for me and that, that's probably why a lot of bands afterwards really just disappointed me because they weren't that.
1: Absolutely. Gene's solo album actually was the, the source of my first real confusion as a KISS fan. I came in, in in 1998 with the Psycho Circus album and unlike a lot of KISS fans, I kind of, I, I knew all the History of KISS because I became a fan by watching a History of KISS video. A friend of mine loaned me um, Peter Criss's solo album, Gene Simmons' solo album, and the Unmasked album, all on cassette. I come home and I listen to them, and I'm expecting, when I put in Gene's solo album, I'm expecting to hear things like War Machine. I'm expecting to hear things like God of Thunder, or Unholy. And I put it in and I hear Man of a Thousand Faces, I hear... Uh, Mr. Make Believe and uh, See You Tonight and things of that sort. And then, I, you know, I put in Peter's album and I hear Kiss the Girl Goodbye. Which
0: is, by the way, I think my favorite song on that record.
1: I, I think for me, on Peter's album, it goes to uh, Don't You Let Me Down.
0: That's a good one, too.
1: And, you know, I, even I put in Unmasked and I hear, you know, Shandy, you know, which is not what I expected to hear when I put in a Kiss album. So for a long time, for me, I dismissed the solo albums as bad albums because they didn't evoke the the image that I wanted them to evoke. Right. But once I got more into the hardcore elements of my Kiss fandom, and I really started, you know, intricately listening to all of the albums and really picking apart their their places in history, I realized that you know, I would be hard pressed to find a better song in the entire Kiss catalog. Than
0: mr make-believe wow and uh, you know I'm not gonna argue around that like I, I think that that record has just one after another great songs I, I think that they are all strong albums it it bothers us as fans I say us because I know I know it bothers you too it bothers us as fans when the members of kiss trash each other's work or trash their own work and I and, and again and then, absolutely well go ahead yeah you, you I think you know what I'm gonna say
1: we can think back to the Behind the Mask
0: book. Exactly, yeah. I, right before we started recording this, I was just flipping through that book, looking at what they read, wrote about the solo albums. I I, I hate seeing them trash Peter's album. I, it, it bothers me. I, I, It's fine. It's their opinions. I just I don't like it.
1: Peter's album is great for the same reason that Gene Simmons' album will be great. Because cause when you look at Ace and, and Paul's, they kind of played it safe. They went with the, the hard-rocking sound. They went with... You know, Paul's album, for the most part, would feel comfortable on a Kiss album.
0: Right, and I mean, in, in their defense, um, you know, those are great albums, and, and one could make the argument that the reason they sound like Kiss records is because those two guys are so fundamentally part of the Kiss sound. Like, that's, that's what Kiss sounds like because of those two guys.
1: Absolutely. Anything Paul Stanley sings sounds like a Kiss song because Kiss is, or Paul Stanley is the voice of Kiss. You know, Gene Simmons is the face of Kiss, and Paul Stanley's the voice of Kiss, you know. And in my opinion, at no, least. I, I understand. And um, Peter Chris's album, you know, is it everyone's cup of tea? No, I think generally from what I've I've read online um, from the other Kiss fans on you know the Tension Hall and, and Kiss FAQ and Sagafoo.com dot and com, Kiss Army HQ, and there's a plug for all you websites out there. But um, it seems like the two albums that get ragged on most. Is Peter's album followed by Gene's album?
0: Jean's is my favorite, followed by Peter's.
1: Gene, Peter, and Paul all hold uh, the number one spot for me. I think Paul's is probably, when it comes to just strength of all the material on the album, I think his is probably the best. But I think as solo albums, Peter and Gene really got it. They went and they made an album based upon what they were feeling, what they wanted to do, and how they wanted it to sound. And when... When they did that, it was just absolutely phenomenal.
0: And here's a live version of See You Tonight from the convention tour.